The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello and welcome back into the podcast that we like to call From the Podium, where you hear directly from your Kansas City Chiefs. I'm host and audio producer of the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, Stephen Serta. Chiefs are wrapping things up this week after the disappointing end to the season. We heard from Chiefs General Manager Brett Veach on Tuesday for about 40 minutes. Veach discussed some players who might have new homes come the start of next regular season, as well as some of the Chiefs' offseason plans. All right, well, I appreciate everybody for hopping on this um, uh, this Zoom today. Uh, before I open up to questions, just have a few people I want to thank here. And, and I wrote them down this time because I don't want to forget anybody, but... Um, you know, I think like coach always says, when you uh, have an opportunity to, to work in this league for a long time, you'll have a few good shots to win some memorable games and be a part of some epic moments. But at the same time, it's also equally as true that if you're in this profession long enough, you'll probably be a part of some tough losses and um, some disappointing moments. And, and certainly I, I would say we can all agree that Sunday was was one of those days um, that was disappointing for us. I think on a personal level, as, as, as tough as the game was in and of itself, um, I think for me, I think the hardest part isn't, uh, you know, what this game does to a, a dynasty or, you know, um, getting a trophy. I think the hardest part for me is just knowing that we missed out on an opportunity to really reward people um, that have supported us and, and been behind us Um uh, the entire time. And I think you start right at the top with our fans. Um, such a great, unbelievable fan base. Uh, been through us with the highest, you know, through the highest of highs and lowest of lows. And, you know, during the middle of the season there, we got off to a rough start three and four, the fans continue to pack the stadium and show that support and help us right the ship. And, you know, got to a point where we were playing really good football there and felt like, you know, we were um, as good as anybody in the league. And, um, you know, uh, again, so can't thank them enough and just feel uh, a tremendous amount of disappointment for not being able to um, provide them with another Super Bowl experience. Uh, Clark Hunt, his family, just an honor and privilege to work uh, for a great group of people. No one's as, as passionate um, and as driven to succeed uh, as Clark. And uh, again, can't thank him enough for all his support. Mark Donovan, uh, his staff upstairs for the job they do of working uh, uh every day to, to provide the fans the best experience they can. Um, and on a personal note, just for all the things that Mark does for me, um, you know, outside the scenes and, and, and his support is greatly appreciated. Rick Burkholder and his staff, uh, a 17 game season. First time we've had that 
uh, three playoff games. So, I mean, 20 games. And, you know, I, I told Rick before the game, I, I couldn't thank him and his staff enough for getting us to that point and, and really, you know, minus a couple guys, but, you know, for where we were a couple of years ago and having a depleted offensive line to, you know, now having a 17 game season, uh, three playoff games and, and to basically roll that team out there and have almost all of our stars out there was just a tremendous accomplishment to Rick and his staff. And that's not to mention going through two years of COVID protocol too. So a lot of stress on him and his staff. Um, but again, just a, a tremendous job. Uh, obviously our coaching staff, you know, we have the best in the game. Uh, my, my personnel staff for all the work they've done, you know, to get us to this point uh, with the work we did in the draft and then through the season, the acquisitions we made um, can't thank them enough. And, um, you know, lastly, and I feel like every year I always forget to mention uh, Ted and his great staff. And, you know, I know Ted's on this call, um, uh, but on a personal note, I have to thank uh, Ted, Ted Cruz, because not only is he and his staff great at what they do, but um, again, on a, on a personal level, uh, Ted is a mentor for me and, and, you know, there's a lot of long nights that, you know, we're talking about a lot of other things other than football. So um, you need people like that in your life, especially to get you through a grind like that. So I just wanted to thank Ted. Um, and, you know, before I open it up for questions um, on a final note, I, you know, I just want to congratulate the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, I know most of the narrative and a lot of the dialogue will be about missed opportunities and, you know, Chiefs blowing uh, a great opportunity and, and listen a lot of that was unforced errors and things that we did but you have to certainly give the Bengals credit it, it's kind of like a heavyweight fight where you know you have a favorite with a big knockout punch and you know we came out there and, and you know we connected early and you know credit to Cincinnati for you know just staying patient with their game plan credit to their coaches and players for getting up off the mat early and, and continuing the fight and taking it to the late rounds and ultimately getting a win for them and um you know, it's easy to look at some of the mistakes we did, but it's also, um, I think, disingenuous to not say that Cincinnati didn't do what they needed to do, and, and that was stay alive in the game and find ways to win. Credit to them, credit to their players. We certainly use this as motivation to get better, and, um, you know, hopefully with another successful offseason, we can put ourselves in a position to play for another championship. Uh, it's a long road. It's tough. It's draining mentally, physically, emotionally, but, um, you know, a few weeks here we'll be ready to get right back at it and uh, put another great product out there. So with that, I'll take your questions. Let's go first to Herbie T.O.P. Go ahead, Herbie. Hey, Brett, good morning. How are you? Good, Herbie. How are you doing? Hey, I'm well, thanks. You mentioned the successful offseason from last year, and you're about ready to hit that part of the business side of football. And I've got two questions here for you. O over past years, you've prioritized free agent signings or even in-house uh, signings with Mahomes and Chris Jones and Kelsey. Where would you say uh, Tyron Matthew and Orlando Brown are in the grand scheme of things because they are in their final year of their deals? And I'll have the second one here. Yeah, so they'll certainly be at the top of the list of, of things that we have to work through and, and, and go through. And, you know, I, I'm sure they'll be, you know, there's a lot of questions just largely do with, you know, the salary cap and, and you know, the restrictions. And, um, you know, we had, a successful, uh, you know, 19 season. And then as we went into the 20 season, um, we were able to get a lot of, a lot of guys resigned. And then we had um, the pandemic that really killed the cap. So, you know, there was a lot of adjustments that we had to do. Um, it limited our ability to do some things and we had to get creative in other ways. Um, before the season had a chance to talk to Tyron and his agent. And, um, you know, we got to the point where we said, once the season ends, we'll be able to, you know, look at the landscape and, and where it's going to be at 
uh, once we get to this point in the 22 off season and where it's going to be in 23. And, um, you know, we'll work through that. I know, uh, you know certainly Tyron wants to, to be here and play here and, and loves it here. And, and we certainly feel the same way. We love him. And, um, but you know, the off season, it's a long, I know it, it's right around the corner, but you know, it is a process. And, and when you work through the first thing we always do is, um, you try to separate the emotion of the last game out uh, because the feelings, the reality is always different from that raw emotion after a game, especially a game like that. So we'll work uh, with the coaching staff. I know the coaching staff's hard at work with their scheme evaluations and um, we'll fin- finalize our, our player evaluations and we'll get together and we'll put together a plan. And usually these plans are multifaceted. As you know, I, I think last year we went the offensive line and the acquisitions there. I mean, it wasn't just here, we're going to do this. It's, you know, we're going to have a couple different um, series of plans these things are all fluid. They all have moving parts. One move is probably a result of either move that you did make or didn't make. And, and so now it's just a process of letting all that stuff work out. But those guys will be certainly at the forefront of uh, conversations. And lastly, Brett, thank you for that response. The offensive line was a, an area that you identified early uh, during the 2021 offseason. As you come into this offseason, where would you say your priority needs and wants are as far as position groups are concerned? Uh, well, that's a good, it's a good question. I always like to look at it uh, on one end, um, given the nature of a 17 game season and, you know, you'd like to hope and pray that you're in the playoffs. You, you know, you always have to have um, your eye out for talent at all levels, because, you know, I think we've talked about this before Herbie that, you know, in 18 or 19, I, I thought our deepest position was D line. And then all of a sudden we had three guys get hurt. So um, on one end, you know, you're always going to keep your eyes and ears open and, and, try to acquire the best players you can because ultimately you'll, you'll need depth everywhere. Um, I just think in, in general, I, I think, you know, most of the guys in the offense are back and, you know, we have some, you know, work to do on the defensive side and on the defensive line, we'll have some decisions to, to make and um, we'll always prioritize the offense and defensive lines. I think if you look at, you know, the track record that, that, you know, coach had in Philly, then I have carried over here. There's always going to be, once you get the quarterback, you're going to invest in the O-line, D-line. I think we did that early on with, you know, the Jones and the Clarks and the Reeds and on the offensive line with the Toonies and the Browns. So um, I don't think it's far-fetched to think that we'll, you know, prioritize, um, you know, the lines like we always do and, and knowing that we have a good offensive line in place and, you know, defense line is probably the most, um, makes the most sense and, and, you know, through the defensive backfield and, and, and what have you. But I, I think the the defensive side is one that we'll probably focus on right off the bat. Let's go next to Adam Teicher. Go Adam. Hey, Brett, how you doing today? Good, Adam. How are you? Good, good. Hey, thanks for taking some time. Um, another guy I wanted to ask you about is Melvin Ingram. Mm-hmm. Um, first, the trade for him at, the, at mid-season. What, what, did he maybe exceed your expectations? Can you kind of take us through that since we haven't talked to you um, about him? And also, um, what kind of priority is he to re-sign to bring back for next year? And Brad, I'll have a second question as well. Yeah, um, Adam, I think as you guys know, when we went through that free agency process last year, there's always phases of, you know, the early phase of the UFA period and then the middle and late phases. And um, sometimes some of these older players, these accomplished players are really patient and, you know, if they don't get exactly what they want, then they'd rather just wait and kind of let things unfold and, and give their bodies an extended period of time. Um, I don't think some of these guys are in a rush to do some of the offseason stuff either, either because they've, they've been there, done that. Um, but we, we certainly had interest in Melvin and we um, had a chance to bring him in later and um, we couldn't get something done, but 
there was mutual interest, I think. And as we got into the season and, and we were going through some injury stuff with Frank and, and Chris and, um, you know, we were always keeping um, the eyes and ears open for a chance to, to strengthen that defensive uh, line room in particular, the depth of that defensive end position and, um, you know, just doing the, the work that our, our staff does throughout the year, you know, keeping the phone lines open, um, you know, we were able to communicate with Pittsburgh there and then um, they kind of hinted to us that, you know, they might do something and we just stayed aggressive and kept calling them back. And then um, we were able to bring him here and obviously he had, he had a tremendous impact. Um, he solidified, you know, the depth at that position and allowed Chris to play um, more inside uh, more of his natural technique. And, um, but then his, his leadership and his approach, I, I think elevated everyone else's game. Um, and, you know, it, it was, uh, I don't think it was, um, just a fluke that the defense kind of took off from there. And, and, you know, we, we had a really good string of, of late season football. And I think he was, um, a huge part of that, um, uh, with Melvin, I think it'll be very similar to last year. I, I think he'll be a guy that will want to take his time. Um, he's played a lot of snaps, still a productive player, still can help the team, um, still would be of interest to us. I think he'll go through the process of, you know, taking some time and, and getting with his family and seeing, you know, where he wants to play and what makes sense for him. Um, but I do think if, if a guy like Melvin decides that he wants to come back and play, I think that we would be at the top of his list. And, and, and that's something we'll, we'll, we'll work to keep the dialogue open with. Yeah. Okay. My second question is, Hey, I know that there's a fine line between winning and losing a lot of times. And certainly at a play or two gone your way against Cincinnati, you'd be getting ready for the Super Bowl. But the, the fact is your season's over just wondering before the Super Bowl and just wondering, do you feel like there's anything this team maybe didn't have that the last couple teams had? And maybe it's even an intangible thing. I'm not necessarily talking about something that's on the field. Do you think there was something missing from this year's team that maybe you had the last couple of years? Well, I, you know, I would, it, it's a good question. I think when we were struggling, I probably could have listed 10 different things early on. We were three and four that this team had, but you know, I think the beauty and I think the commonality in all these teams is, is the leadership up front with the head coach and, and having guys like Pat and Tyron. Um, the one thing that I think we always banked on, again, even I remember talking to coach till 2, 3 a.m. after the Tennessee game where he got completely annihilated and just um, having that ultimate belief and faith in the locker room, the guys that they'd worked through adversity. I, I think all those teams and really all these teams that end up ultimately winning a Super Bowl, they're going to go through such a, a wave of uh, it's an emotional roller coaster. And it's just those teams that can just, um, handle that adversity. And I think all those teams had that quality. Um, and, you know, we didn't get there and we didn't win. And, and so we can certainly discuss and, or, you know, throw out ideas or hypotheticals of what a team did or didn't have. But, you know, as you mentioned, Adam, I mean, you know, a field goal there at the end of the half and, and you win the game, we're talking about how this team, you know, is, um, you know, mimicking the teams before taking the next step. So it's such a fine line. And, you know, I don't, want to in any way discredit this team and what they've accomplished and you know I know we're all disappointed we're all sad but um I think I'll just look back at the end of the day after some of the time heals these wounds and and just be proud of the resiliency and it was very easy to to just um point the fingers when you're three and four you know it's easy to just rest on the laurels and you know we've been there and it's you know it's this player caller's fault or it's this play you know, this player's fault or we didn't have enough of this or that. And our guys never did that. They just knew that they went back to work. They would figure it out. And we did. And, and you guys know we were playing really, really good football there. I, I know, unfortunately, we had two road bumps at the end of the year and they were both uh, against Cincinnati. And they just, I think their equation was, was, you know, the, the Chiefs 
biggest weaknesses um, themselves. So, you know, let's just bank on them being a little bit aggressive and, and patient. And, and, you know, that that's what happened in that last game, I think, is is just that, um, you know, we have that that killer mindset. We just want to go out there and score every play. And, you know, we did that early on. Um, we controlled ourselves and we played within, you know, the scheme and we were patient. And I think we just wanted it so much. And, you know, that's why you love these guys the way we do is because when they see that, blood in the water they just go after it and um you know we um we just got caught up in a little bit uh of a dilemma there in the third fourth quarter where we were just couldn't do anything right and um just a bad day to have a bad day and um that'll sit with us for a long time but um again i'm just proud of the guys and the resiliency they showed all year next to pete sweeney good pete Hey, Brad, thanks for taking some time with us. Um, different times throughout the, the year, this city was was tied to a big name, third weapons. I mean, we know about Tyreek and Travis. <clears throat> how much did you sense that um, maybe that was that was missed this season and how much of a priority is, and again, nothing against a, a Byron or a McColl, but a, a third weapon for you guys um, heading into the 2022 season? Yeah, I think our priority is always, you know, any sort of advantage um, that we can get, we'll pursue. Um, it's no different than the Rams. I mean, they had a bunch of wideouts and they had a chance to get Odell. Um, you know, even if, I mean, we could have potentially had Sammy Watkins on the roster and with that would have been something. I think you guys know how we're wired. Um, if it if it makes sense to us and it doesn't put us in any long-term binds in regards to future caps and, and structure, um, but if there's any way we can get better. And if there's any way we can get Pat Mahomes more weapons, we'll do that. And obviously um, Odell's done a great job for the Rams and, you know, it, it just worked out for them where as soon as they signed him, they had a receiver get hurt. So now it looks like it, an even better move. But um, I, I think that this was something that if this scenario would have played out a year ago with different receivers, aren't we probably still would have inquired and pursued. And um, I don't think we'll ever shy away from, trying to get 1% advantage. And, and that's kind of how we approach things. If it, if it makes sense for us, it makes us, even if it's just a little better, I mean, we'll pursue it. And that was the case there. And, and maybe it would have made a bigger difference than just that 1% uh, given, you know, different roster constructions on different teams, but we'll always pursue talent. And um, if it makes sense, we'll, we'll be aggressive in that, in that fashion. Go next to Seren Petro. Go ahead, Seren. Uh, and Brad, I'll, I'll have a follow-up uh, as well, if I could. Uh, Brett, the um, is there a sense that maybe like I don't know, maybe lack of a better term, phase one of the Patrick Mahomes era is coming to an end? You know, the cheap contract, the rookie contract. I know you guys bought that back with moving some of the money back on the cap this year, and that philosophically the approach has to be more of a long game. I mean, you guys, you had to run it back and almost got that done, and it seemed like there were a lot of moves that were made specifically for kind of this group. Is there is there a time that that you know whether it's now or in the future and if there is a time, is it now to kind of shift gears and how the personnel and the cap management works? Well, I think, you know, that's, um, that's twofold. I think when you have a player's talent as Pat, I think your window's always open. And I think that if you, if you, you know, if you provide him with talent and, you know, there's different ways to do that. I think um, we were really into a bind after last season with coming into an off season, knowing we're not going to have two tackles and, you know, how are we going to figure this out? And we're able to, to work, through things um you know the cap will grow at different rates and you know it it put every team in a bind with the pandemic and having a lesser cap and it, it, i think it'll be at 208 but there'll be some growth there there's always um restructurings of contracts there's always resignings there's always ways 
to move money, but you got to be smart about that because, you know, I think we're seeing teams now that, you know, they're hitting the, the end of a long year, of, you know, pushing money, pushing money. And then finally it hits you. And I think that we'll always be cognizant of that. And, and, um, Clark is on top of that. And, and, you know, that's why Clark is, is great to work with. We have, you know, great cap people here, but Clark, I said before, um, could be one of the best cap guys in the NFL. So, um, I think we always have that thought process of never putting ourselves in a bind four or five, six years down the road. Um, but we try to blend that with aggressiveness just because, you know, when you start thinking in terms of, you know, playing, you know, nothing's ever guaranteed and injuries are part of the game. Players can get hurt. Other players can get hurt. You can have, you know, um, a player hurt this year or that year. And what we know is that we have, um, you know, a great group of guys coming back. We have, um, you know, the best quarterback in the game and, you know, we'll be aggressive as we can. Um, I think we'll also be cognizant of, um, you know, the long-term effects of things and we'll look at other teams and where they are now um, as a good guide for, um, you know, what could happen if you get careless and, and um, operate in that fashion. But um, so it's that it's kind of blending that, you know, being responsible in the long term, but also not taking anything for granted. When you have a, a good young player like that, you know, five years, you know, you never know where these players will be and how healthy they'll be. And, you know, he's here, he's the best, he's healthy. So, you know, let's not lose sight of that too. Okay. And then I know you answered the question early about Tyron Matthew and Orlando Brown and where they're at just kind of a, a little more detail on both of them. One Orlando Brown made it very clear seemingly in leaving Baltimore and arriving in Kansas city that he wanted to play left tackle. Are you, you know, as you move forward in negotiations with him, is it exclusively conversations about him playing left tackle? And is that something that, you know, you guys just give away. And with Tyron Matthew, you know, through social media, he's been quite active and has made it pretty clear that he views it as he's leaving. Is is Tyron Matthew, uh, he's even used that term, as I leave. Uh, it, would you characterize that as accurate, that Tyron Matthew has, for lack of a better term, left the building? Um, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that that's necessarily true. I think, you know, um, you know, Tyron's a really passionate person and he wears his emotions on his sleeve and, um, you know, he speaks from the heart and that's what he does. And I think there's a lot of emotions. I think the one thing that is clear is his genuine love and passion for this city, for this locker room, for being here. I think, um, the one thing that just, just jumps off the screen when you listen to him talk is that, I mean, he loves playing and living in Kansas city. And, you know, there's an element of, there are certain things out of, um, out of his control and at the moment out of our control until we get more information and work through the process. And I think sometimes when you have guys that are that passionate um, and feel so strongly about being somewhere, they just, they're just saying, Hey, listen, if this is it, I mean, man, I loved it. Um, I know deep down he wants to be there. And, and as we mentioned to him before the season, um, once we're able to look at the cap and, and look at where we'll be in 23 and, and down the road and, um, other deals and other moves, like you mentioned, the Orlando Brown and, and where we are, we'll, we'll certainly exchange ideas and, and, and put, put our best foot forward. But I think that's just Tyron just being his genuine self. And he's always um, going to speak from the heart. Um, you know, he's a special person. Um, he is, uh, you know, uh, you won't find anybody in the building doesn't love him. You won't find anybody in any building that he's ever played in that doesn't love him. And that's just, just the way he is. And as far as Orlando, listen, I mean, Orlando um, was a guy that had that dream to play left tackle and had uh, a small sample size of him playing left, uh, left tackle at Baltimore. Um, we had an opportunity for him to do that. And, and you know, obviously um, feel like on a whole, 
uh, our offensive line played outstanding this year and, and um, credit to coach heck and, and our coaching staff. And I thought our did a great job and, and that he, he's another unique character too, where, um, you know, when you talk about a culture and when you talk about a guy that does everything the right way, Orlando Brown's in that category. Um, the guy never misses practice. Um, he's as dependable as there is, you know, that Cincinnati game that we played in regular season, it, it killed him that he couldn't play. And he actually came back on the field and wanted to play with a, with a pulled calf muscle. So um, I think he's done a great job at that left tackle and, and certainly work it and get him done. And we expect him to be our left tackle moving forward. Go next to Sam McDowell. Go ahead, Sam. Thanks, Brad. I'll have a couple things. Um, Brett, you know, last year we're talking to you at this time, and it seemed pretty obvious where you guys needed to go in the offseason based on the way it finished. This year, because of the trajectory of the season being different, you know, three and four, then you're playing really good football, and then it finishes shy. How much does the way it finished play into your offseason blueprint, or are there other elements that weigh heavier? Um. Well, I, you know, I think last year it was, I mean, it was pretty obvious that, you know, we had um, been decimated by injuries up front and then we had two veteran tackles, one retiring and one that, um, you know, we didn't really know the medical status. And in addition to that, you know, you're, you're talking about a position group that protects your, your franchise players. So, um, you know, there was no question that we, we had to do whatever we had, we needed to do to protect Pat, um, you know, having gone through this season and having, um, you know, for the most part accomplished our goal of, of retooling that line and feel confident in that line. I mean, um, you know, we'll, we'll look, and I think I kind of mentioned this earlier, I think we'll always prioritize the offense and defensive lines. And I think that, you know, um, we'll have some decisions to make and we'll have to have more dialogue with our coaching staff about our, our defensive line and, and making sure that that line is equally as um, deep and, and, and talented. And so we'll prioritize, um, that side of the football, I'm sure, but um, anytime, you know, you can add weapons uh, from homes will be something we think about. Um, we do have an extra third round pick now, and, you know, we have some, some, some draft capital to work with. And now it's just a matter of us um, going through the final evaluation process, allowing the coaches to go through the scheme process, um, and then just going through the different plans of attacks. You know, here's our roster. Here's what we can do. Here's what's out there. And then it'll hit the second phase where um, our coaches will watch the players that we really like. And, and we'll kind of talk about, um, you know, price points for these players. And, you know, do you, do you go two of this, you know, two of these guys or, you know, this one position at this price or maybe you break it up and, and you know, do the depth thing. So there's just a lot of different combinations that can play out. They're all domino effect. I think our first line of business is just to um, finalize where we are with our guys and our staff. Um, and, and, you know, whether it's the, the new contracts, the restructuring, it's re-signings, the guys moving on, trading. And then once we finalize and stabilize exactly what we have, um, then it's just a matter of filling in the holes. And, and then it comes down to what just makes the most sense from a financial term and a commitment term and, and um, marrying that with what we think is available in the draft. And then, you know, being committed to, you know, this is the best plan because of, of – what's available in free agency, the price point, in addition to what either is there or not there in the draft. And then secondly, you know, we, we've talked a while about just your staff and it's remained intact for a while, despite you guys having this successful run. Um, can you give us a comment on, on what Ryan meant, meant to your staff, but, but also just what, what the guys you still have there mean to your staff? Yeah. I mean, well, first off with Ryan, couldn't be more excited for him and his family. 
Um, I mean, shoot, he was here in Kansas City before I got here. Um, very organized, very detailed, um, great communicator. Uh, he's a guy that um, had done a ton of work for us on both the college and pro side. But um, like many of the guys in, in our building here, I mean, just passionate about what he does, has a good feel. You know, I think ultimately at the end of the day, I mean, everyone has to have the ability to communicate and and have just core philosophies to, to stand behind. But it really does come down to the, the the communication you have with your staff and the trust and, you know, the work efficiency in the building. Um, I think once you have those things ironed out, I think it's why we've been so successful here is because of the relationship that Coach and I have. And But Ryan is a good communicator. Um, he's an easy person to work with. And I think him and Coach Eberflus will, um, I think they'll quickly connect and I think they'll be up and running and I, and I think he'll do a tremendous job. And I'm glad he's in the NFC and I'm glad I don't have to play guys like that, that I, you know, I really know and care about. Um, and and uh, to your point about, you know, the people I have in here, I mean, um, just like I feel about Ryan, you know, the guys here, um, you know, Mike Berganzi and, you know, Ryan Nutt and Mike Bradley, Chris Shea, Brad Tillis, Tim Terry, um, you know, I don't want to miss anybody, but all my guys here, I mean, they're just outstanding. And, you know, that's to your point. I've, I've been with these guys a long time. Um, I know them, they know me, and there's a lot of trust there. Uh, and that trust allows for efficient communication and we're able to get uh, a lot of things done and accomplished. But if it wasn't for them, I, I don't think we'd be as successful as we are. Yep. Thanks to Matt Derrick. Go ahead, Matt. Hey, Brad, appreciate your time as always, especially since I know this is a busy week for you. Um, uh, you've alluded to a little bit about the salary cap, but you know, just specifically, how do you feel about where you are as far as the cap situation goes? And, and you, as you alluded to, maybe moving some money around. And also specifically with fitting Orlando into that, um, how, what's your confidence level as a, as a contract extension versus the, the franchise tag with Orlando? Well, those are, those are always unknown. I, I think that um, when you have a, a player come in here and, and I think when he, when he loves being here and, and I think when the coaching staff and the personnel staff feel the same way, I think that um, it's always easier to get something done when um, players see a place like Kansas city as uh, a long-term place for them to, to potentially finish, you know, start and finish their career. And, you know, so when you get a guy like that and I think the, um, the trade happens. And I think everything, I think he wanted from this experience in regards to playing left tackle, playing Kansas city, playing with Pat Mahomes. Um, now I haven't asked him this directly, but I would venture to say that it's been um, exactly what he's wanted. And I think we've been looking for a tough, rugged, dependable, you know, left tackle protect Pat Mahomes. So I think, you know, when you have that scenario play out where, um, the player loves the team and the team loves the player. I, I, think, I think things are always more likely to get worked out. And we hope, um, you know, that element will be something that we iron out. And, you know, it'd be beneficial for us because it allows us to, to do more things. And I'm sorry, Matt, what was the second part of your question? And the second part was just specifically about where you are with the salary cap. Yeah. Well, I, I think um, many good teams are in the same scenario. We're, we're okay when we're not. We're not uh, rolling into the offseason with a ton of cap space. Um, you know, we, we have some 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 moves to make, and you, you know the, the cap the cap has grown. I I know that there's numbers thrown out there, and people think that it's um, a bigger number, but you know, I actually think that we were hoping for a little bit bigger. Um, and then, you know, the big question is the growth from 22 to 23. I mean, you know, that also plays 
a factor into um, how we construct contracts and how cash flows look in different years. And, you know, there's a little element of that, that that's unknown. And I think there's a, you know, the knee jerk reaction is to say, well, TV deals and, you know, the cap's going to just balloon. And um, while we'll, we continue to hope for that, I think there's a good reality that that won't happen. And it'll be a much more gradual increase in the cap. And, and so um, those are some of the things as we work through the next few weeks, trying to acquire as much information as we can will help guide us in, in, in what we do. Um, but I'd love to sit here and say, yeah, the cap's going to just balloon to a astronomical number in 23 and we can do all these things. But um, my gut tells me that won't be the case. It'll be much more gradual and, and we'll have to also utilize that in, in our equation of how we approach this offseason. The last two, we got Vahe and then Nate. Go ahead, Vahe. Hey, Brett. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the time. Um, sure. Hey, I, I wanted to draw on your, uh, on your scouting roots a little bit and also uh, the idea that I think you probably still have seen more tape on Patrick than anybody else ever. Um, just, I wonder if you could just go through the arc of his season as you saw it. And then I'll have a follow-up on that, just in, in that sense, though. Yeah, I think when when you have a player like that, I think it, as far as the arc of the season, I think it's it, it's going to mirror the arc of, you know, the team in general. Um, you know, hot early on and, you know, got into a little bit of, you know, it's funny because these ideas and, and the concepts and, you know, the, uh, the too high safety and, and the shell looks and all, I mean, it's, it's football. Pat has seen all this before. And it, you know, so when the offense is struggling early on, it, it, it wasn't because someone really reinvented the wheel. It was just, um, you know, and we've said this before, uh, you know, Patrick's biggest weaknesses, um, just him wanting to go out there and just execute at such a high level. And that goes back to the roots at, at Texas tech. If you remember when, Pat was at Texas Tech. You know, he was always the best player on the field. Um, sometimes teams would be in a bind and he'd be down 14, 21, nothing. I think he've always, from an early age, approached the game like I'm putting everybody on my shoulders and I'm going to try to score every single play. Um, and I think that first year playing with Alex Smith was a big learning lesson for him because Alex taught him really how to balance the game. Um, every now and then, though, we always have those demons that are, are we bury them, right? And, you know, but those demons always creep up every now and then. And I think, and that's what you love about Pat though, because he wants to put everything on him. Um, he wants all the pressure on him. He wants to make every throw and he has the utmost confidence in, in the staff and the play and his ability to, even if it's not, you know, the ideal throw, he just trusts himself. And I think that's, you know, what you love about him. And, um, but as far as that season, I mean, there was some times where I think he just tried to do too much. And, you know, we have a good, um, you know, we have good game plans in place. And we have good players around him. Um, you don't need to, to do everything every single game. And I think he got into that mindset of, all right, he's just going to, you know, put the ball into the playmaker's hands, um, let those guys do what they do, and and just let the game unfold and, and, and take what the defense gives you. And um, when we got into a role there and then the offense was playing, the defense was playing, and um, – you know, and then we get right there at the end there, and there was a couple probably throws he'd like to have back, and it's only because, um, you know, he just wants to to do everything on his own sometimes, and 
those are the qualities you love. But I mean, it was, it was just like the season was, it was uh, a little inconsistent and let's just take a step back, relax, give what the defense gives you um, to figuring out and, and playing a more methodical um, and more um, detailed approach. And just having that third, fourth quarter, just slip away just a little bit, but um, you know, listen, there's, a lot of reasons why we lost that game. And um, anytime you can put the ball in Pat Mahomes' hands, um, there's not a coach, uh, there's not a GM, uh, there's not a player in the league that would want anybody else other than Pat with the ball in his hands. And it, really, you're speaking to that a little bit, but I, I do you think of that as maybe the single single greatest thing he needs to continue to, to work on? I mean, it, obviously he has all the talent in the world and, and, and you know, incredible judgment most of the time. But I mean, is that, is that maybe the thing that, that he should take away from the season? You think that the, the ability to handle that part a little, little more fluently? Yeah. I mean, you know, listen, I think if you were to ask Pat, I'm, I'm sure he had, a, I'm sure that's one of them. I'm sure there's a lot of things just because he is a perfectionist and there's a lot of things that, you know, the coaching staff needs to work on. There's a lot of things that I need to work on uh, with my staff. I, I don't think you ever go through a season, whether, you know, it ends in the Super Bowl or if it ends in devastation, like it did on Sunday that, um, any of us ever feel like we have it figured out. I mean, we've all um, have a, a ton of stuff. We need to go back on the drawing board and, and figure out, you know, why it didn't work out the way we thought it would. And um, I'm sure, again, to Pat, I'm sure that's one of the things, but I'm sure there's footworks mechanics that coach would tell you, and I'm sure that he would tell you, um, but it's no different than the coaches um, and some of the scheme stuff that, you know, they're, probably harden themselves for some of the execution stuff. And it's no different than some of the acquisitional things that, you know, I'm disappointed in with me and my staff and we'll look at those. Um, so, uh, you know, when you're that gifted a player and you have that kind of talent, um, those guys tend to always be the most critical. And I'm sure, um, you know, Pat will approach this offseason like he does every offseason to work on every facet of his game. We'll ask to Nate Taylor. Go ahead, Nate. Hey, Brett, thanks for doing this, as everyone hey. has said. Um, you know, you mentioned defense as a priority. I just wonder with the cornerback situation, the way you guys have handled it over the last few years, how would you uh, look at that position and how would you maybe uh, try to address it considering uh, one of your starters, Traverius Ford, is up for agency as well? Yeah, I mean, and Traverius has done a great job for us. And he's another guy you throw in that mix of um, the guys are, are up that, you know, we want to have dialogue with. And I thought he has progressed every single season and our staff has done a great job with Shavarius and having Steve Fenton back. Um, you know, those are, those are two guys that, um, you know, have played productive roles for us. And LJ we think is um, just outstanding in his approach and his versatility. And, and again, Fenton is a guy that um, consistently shows up on the field for us and is able to play and produce for us. I think, you know, there's uh, some of the misconceptions about, you know, not valuing the corner position. I, a lot of the, what happens in the league and a lot of, you know, how you spend, you know, your draft capital and what you do is, is, you know, there is some element of being circumstantial, right? Like, you, you know, so you're going to va value the O-line, D-line, and then you're, you're going to go and you're going to value, you know, corners too, because they're hard positions. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it, not having a ton of cap space every year and not picking in the top 10, it, it's hard to just say, we're going to go out and get a corner and there's other elements too. So like, let's just say you're picking 30 and you know, the top two or three consensus corners are gone. Um, there may be a corner that you have graded in that too, but I mean, does he pass, you know, the medicals, um, the coaching, the scheme, the fit. So it's not always here are the raw numbers of corners and 
address one, take one. I mean, there are so many factors that come into play. Again, you talk about, you know, the value of the player, you talk about the scheme fit, you talk about, um, you know, the fit with the coaching staff, you talk about uh, their medical history. I mean, there's been a couple of guys over the years that we really liked and um, we just didn't think they were healthy and we worried about that. So, um, but we'll certainly look to add and, and, you know, anytime you can get a good young corner, I, I think that is something that any team um, wouldn't pass up, but um, you know, it just, sometimes it, it's difficult when you have um, some limited cap space and those guys aren't cheap too. When they're free agents, um, they're up there with the old linemen and, and, and pass rushers. I mean, those corners are uh, that market has skyrocketed there. And, um, but listen, if, um, if there's an opportunity to snag one of those guys, uh, you know, that will be right up there with uh, a D line priority and an online line priority like it always will be. Um, and lastly, Brad, it sort of leads me to, to my follow-up here, but, 